Hello, welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. In recent months in Australia, we've heard a lot of talk about the role consulting firms play in government. And one of the sparks for a lot of the debate was the disciplinary finding against a PwC partner, a former PwC partner now in fact, Peter Collins, who had used information obtained in what are confidential uh discussions, confidential consultations with government to develop law in a commercial setting. That's a no-no. Uh, those of you that know uh, my background, I've also been involved in that sort of uh, consultation, and it's not the sort of thing you do. But there's a committee inquiry happening at the moment, and it's looking at the role of consultants and how best to ensure that consultants keep themselves nice, behave properly, and don't misuse information that's given to them in government uh, as part of government work. One of the people who has been pushing this for some time and looking at the area for some time is Senator Deborah O'Neill. She's the chairperson of the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Corporations and Financial Services. She's also a member of the committee looking at the uh, consult, consulting firms inquiry. Um, Senator, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks, Tom. Lovely to be with you and your podcast listeners. Now, it, it, this journey started back in 2019 for you with the audit regulation inquiry. Um, in brief, uh, an audit, I've taught it, I've written about it, I've, I've you know, dealt with policy advice on it. It is not uh, it is not an area that some people would find exciting. What drew you to it to begin with? Um, it was a bit of a circuitous route to actually get there, Tom, but um, <laughs> I've always been interested in, you know, how the world works. And when I came to the parliament, I thought it's really important to get across financial services. So I've been on that parliamentary joint committee for a really long time. But um I was concerned about what was happening with the supervision of the terms that were agreed to when some foreign companies were ticked off by the Foreign Investment Review Board under the previous government and there were compliance dimensions to their being able to access Australian assets, right? So um, there's billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, in fact, that's been invested in the country and where there are compliance requirements uh, I found out that there were only two people supervising the compliance for all of these multinational entities sitting at the heart of government, and, and I was truly shocked by that. Uh, and I was further shocked by the fact that one of the big four uh, was actually deciding for themselves that in addition to doing the work for the, the company, which was Olympia Energy at the time, they convinced themselves and convinced somebody in the Foreign Investment Review Board oversight part of Treasury that it would be okay if they checked their own homework. Essentially, they would do a report on their audit and that would satisfy the federal government. And that was truly, truly shocking to me. Uh, and there, my interest in what was going on in the auditing world was really, really piqued. And now... That inquiry, that inquiry, interestingly, went for a little. It went from the so towards the end of twenty nineteen. It concluded in November twenty twenty. Two reports were produced. We're still waiting on a government response. Any yes. word on that? 
Yeah, well, look, um, I, I can't account for the previous government, but I know um, that, you know, I'm a member of the government in this one and that, that people are very alive to the big challenges that the country faces in order. And, in fact, Labor in the final report, and I, I think the substantial report was actually the interim report, but then we we had COVID, so that changed things. And the final report is quite short. But um, we had additional comments in there because... Um, my colleagues and I were very concerned about what we were discerning about the cultural practices inside the big four in particular. Uh, and we have been mindful of that and that committee that I'm on is still very mindful of it and watching it. And clearly um, this explosive information about what happened with Mr Peter John Collins, and I thought you were pretty kind to him, Tom. I mean, I'm pretty sure when you went in to provide your expert knowledge as a great Australian citizen to the help make the law and you signed a confidential document, you knew what that meant, you know, that it's confidential. I, I, I've got, uh, at the time I did that, I had two university qualifications. One of them was a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism, and I can assure you my comprehension skills were pretty good. Well, you you actually do have to wonder what on earth Mr Peter John Collins was thinking when he, on one hand, signed a confidentiality agreement with his own government to say he would not share any of this information and pretty explicitly, uh, and then within a moment, on the other hand, takes the document back to his employer, PwC, and instead of finding a titanium wall of ethical standards wrapped around him, which said, Peter John Collins, you cannot do that. In fact, we're going to report you to the Tax Practitioner Board as an unfit and not a proper person. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, instead of finding that, he found very fertile soil where they started to plant the seeds of growing a money tree on the back of theft of information from the Australian public. So we're in a pretty interesting spot uh, right at the beginning of this story. Back when I was involved in uh, um, back when I was involved in that kind of work, which to some people will now be prehistory, <laughs> uh, you, you, you understood what that meant. Uh, when I first heard about the issue of the discipline disciplinary um, penalty meted out to Collins, uh, what I what I first said would be regarded as unparliamentary and not for polite company. Yes. I think people were truly shocked and uh, that's what I continue to hear, that the scale of as I'm moving around the community, people are saying to me, oh, my goodness, it, I, I can't believe the work you're doing on PwC. I simply can't believe what went on. Like there is genuine shock um, even from people who have, I'd say, fairly robust uh, experience with, you know, the cut and thrust of the private sector, they mm -hmm. are truly appalled and shocked by what's gone on. That's this is a convenient segue to the broader uh, the broader issues of the inquiry. And if I can start with the question you asked finance the other week, when you. Um, when you asked him about the oversight of the contracts that government has with a range of parties, you got a response that indicated there wasn't really a comprehensive oversight process, did you? Didn't you? Yeah, and I, I think that the regulatory gaps have been absolutely exposed. Um, 
clearly somebody else knew there were regulatory gaps though and uh, they're all the, you know, the companies with all the letters. PwC figured a pathway through this using the um, the esteem and cachet of their high-level uh, truth-telling um I guess there's a halo around the letters PwC, if I could put it that way, that these were people you could really trust and they've traded on that trust and it's become critical to their marketing of themselves. Based on that, the doors opened and in came like a, a Trojan horse of consultants who are not regulated in any way and who were able then to find different contracts going on in the different part, part the departments that they were working on. And we've heard even in recent days more egregious practices where some of the partners themselves didn't even tell the other partners in KPMG or in PwC that they were going to invest in projects. Like there's one that involves a company called Top Education and uh, the and Texa, which is all about the education sector. So there's just egregious practice everywhere where greed has overcome any moral qualms at all. Uh, it's the pursuit of the holy dollar uh, at the cost, in, in the case of Mr Peter John Collins, of actually selling out his own country. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a pretty amazing place to be historically. It's interesting that you've encapsulated a whole raft of uh, themes that I've followed for almost three decades in my professional career, both from outside and within the accounting profession. And the question that, that occurs to me um, is that always with these situations is we know what the problem is. Well, we do now. Um, we know what the problem is. However... What are the elements of um, a solution? Because there's never a silver bullet, but there are different measures that can come into play. Have you got any thoughts at the moment at this stage, given your experience with the audit regulation inquiry, plus what you've heard thus far, what are some of the building blocks that we need to put in place or, or to strengthen um, to, to ensure that you know, the, the government gets what it needs from the private sector and the community has assurance that the systems are as tight as they need to be? Look, I think that we've had some pretty big signals all around the world about people's doubts about the efficacy of the model of a partnership of auditors mm -hmm who then spin off another inside that partnership. So I think there's already been quite a bit of international discussion about, you know, the validity of a partnership model uh, and its lack of transparency and declarations and re requirements to reveal to the market what it's doing as opposed to an entity that might be as complex and contain the very same people but is subject to corporations law and there would be so much more scrutiny. So I think that one's well and truly out there in conversation land and it has been across multiple jurisdictions for quite some time. I think the other one that we know that's been going on internationally is this whole notion of 
assurance companies and because of their auditing work being so critical to the proper functioning of the markets that auditing uh, needs to have its own silo and that there's a degree of ring fencing around that that needs to occur so it stands on its own and is quite a separate entity from anything to do with consulting. And we saw that sort of rise perhaps to its peak in the Everest attempt by EY in Britain most recently, which seems to have fallen foul of um, climbing, reaching the summit, shall we say. The Everest well, they, they, they didn't, I don't think they made it quite past space camp. <laughs> so uh, there obviously is resistance, and a lot of people speak to me often on the record about um, whether auditing is now being used and the term they use is as a loss-leading revenue-generating uh, entity. So you get in through your auditing. Yes, you might lose some money on the way through, but it gives you access into all the other lucrative jobs and it's worth going down a little bit. Uh, so uh, going a bit down on profit to be able to pick up the other jobs along the way. So there's few, quite a few people spoken about that. There's been strenuous denial of that on the public record by all of the uh, four big firms in the auditing inquiry. But um, to, to think about what it might need to do going forward, I think it, there's such a sense of insult of what's happened and there's always this pressure to urgently move towards a solution. I think what we've seen is over a long period of time this sophisticated set of business practices and infiltration of a government sector has occurred and it would be very unwise to just suddenly clamp it down, think we've got solutions immediately and, and move to it in any sort of knee-jerk, hasty way. Uh, that's how you end up making really very bad legislation. It's how you um, fail the public because this is an ecosystem that really needs to be carefully considered because, again, I say how fundamental the assurance sector is to the proper functioning of the markets, and we've got to be mindful of that at every step. Now, one of the things that I've rabbited on about incessantly, and I did submit to the audit regulation inquiry, just so listeners know, um, is a strong sense that I've had over an extended period of time that there's a reaction. The, the reaction from Parliament tends to be um, the not, not proactive. When things happen in the marketplace, you get the you get Parliament reacting. Yes. Um, one of the suggestions I put forward back in 2019 in my submission, which is still up there for people who want to go off and read it. Uh, yeah is that Parliament needs to have, and I've written about this recently, but crikey, um, an almost a professional oversight inquiry that's rolling. Not the occasional one, but a rolling inquiry. So with the principles of continuous improvement, there's a constant eye on what the accounting bodies are doing, what the major firms are doing, how they're complying with this, that or the other, and what they're practices are in dealing with government contracts, for example. Um, I know politicians' lives are busy and everything's hectic, but do you think there's a place for that sort of 
rolling inquiry is a kind of oversight? Well, it's interesting that you say that um, because really when you look at the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Corporations and Financial Services, um, it was established with the role to oversee ASIC whose fundamental responsibility is, you know, the oversight of all the elements that are involved in the corporations law and, and, and looking after that part of the of the ecosystem. Um, and we are oversighting that. The reality is there seem to be very significant dark spots in the ecosystem where nobody's watching anything. That's um, my point. And I, I think that we need a very significant review of the ecosystem. I think things probably changed too quite significantly in the last 30 years between, you know, the paper-based and digital information movement. And excuse me, if we were to think about, you know, how we manage big data, there might be some very efficient ways in 2023 that we can keep a better eye um, on what the data might reveal, but then we need the discernment of a human oversight uh, I think there's opportunities for uh, to be considered, Tom. The uh, because as as um, some people listening would know, there was a movie called The Watchman, which was based on a graphic novel called The Watchman. Um, that was masked heroes that generally misbehaved, and one of the one of the taglines was, "Who watches The Watchman?" Exactly. Um, and that's the that's the question that I've got, having been outside and from within the profession. Who actually yeah. who actually asks people in the accounting world how they uphold that value of the public interest at the code of ethics embed? Yeah. The answer the, the answer is nobody. Exactly. And we've got, you know, the APES board, which has been set up, and we've got an APES 110, which couldn't be clearer about what the ethical standards are. And we've got the IPA yep. and we've got CANS and we've got supposed ethics boards as part of all of these major firms. Uh, sounds like there's an awful lot of paperwork out there that pays lip service to ethical behaviour. And people take it as a free ticket. Once the once the paperwork complete, then you can basically go and do what you want. Um, the reporting to the tax practitioner board, uh, when somebody is found within their entity not to be a fit and proper person, seems to be something that everybody forgot they should be doing. So um, stay tuned. We'll find out a bit more about that as this saga continues, sadly. Are there any other things that, and again, it's a, it's a pro you're still on the journey with the consulting inquiry and we're still waiting on the government response to the audit one. It's only been four years almost. But the <laughs> the uh, are there any other elements of the ecosystem that you've sort of got in the back of your mind that need, need to be reviewed, whether there's uh, oversight of... Uh, Oversight of the profession, which we've covered. Um, is there any other component that you're starting to reflect on a bit more? Well, I think uh, the consultancy sector, in its in and of itself, um, I think it's now been revealed as a place where there is a lot of polite, modern management language, but essentially it's the wild west. Uh, anything goes. Um, anyone 
qualified or not can hang up a shingle. Uh, there's no accountability. There's no oversight body. Um, and these people uh, doing consultancy work, some of them are incredibly talented and they provided great, great value in their service. However, there is a need for protection against those who would simply exploit the term consultant, uh, be underskilled and uh, sell the emperor some new clothes that actually, you know, might be rather revealing. And I think that's kind of what we found out has happened. You've got, um, you've already had one big four accounting firm front. Are you expecting all three of the others to make an appearance when you have a bracket in the middle of July? Look, um, the committee will always make those decisions collectively, but I don't think anybody would be shocked to think that, you know, we have an intention to call each of the big four before us. Uh, and, you know, it's been my experience in the past that if, you know, you don't get what you want from them in terms of a proper and thorough answers or if there's too much that's left unprosecuted, that sometimes we might have to call a couple of people back until we actually get to the bottom of the situation. So, um, like, my sense of what our job is is to get on the public record something very, very proximate to the reality of what is occurring. Uh, no more myth-making, no more spinning, no more um, obfuscation. Uh, the, the curtain around the Wizard of Oz has been pulled back uh, everyone who's hiding behind that curtain is now revealed. It's time to fess up and let's get a plan that's beneficial for those who have a right to make a return on their investment and to make a profit and to live a good life, uh, but you don't do that at the expense of the nation, which provides all the social and physical infrastructure underneath the success of that business. I've been talking to Senator Deborah O'Neill. She's the chair of the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Corporations and Financial Services, as well as a member of the committee having a deep dive at the consulting sector and its assurances and, and quality and integrity. Uh, Senator, thanks for joining me for the podcast. Thank you so much, Tom. Sorry for my coughing and spluttering. It's a, it's just a, a common reality here down in Canberra in the middle of winter, I'm afraid. Um, I'm, uh, I am visiting Canberra uh, in the next uh, month or so, so I'll take that on Great. notice. Yeah. <laughs> thanks again, Tom. Thanks for your interest and thanks for your thought leadership in this field. And, and, and thank you for joining me.